Hi, I'm Lottie Morley and this is Ladypod, the podcast celebrating wonderful women. My guests will be sharing their inspiring stories about how they got to where they are and a few funny tales along the way. This week, we're doing something different in the light of the recent protests that have been ongoing across the UK and the world. The Black Lives Matter protests were sparked by the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. George died in police custody after an officer knelt on his neck for almost nine minutes. Today, I'll be discussing this with our guests, mum and daughter duo, Bianca and Donna Ali. Bianca helped organise one of the Black Lives Matter protests in Cardiff, Her mother, Donna, is an entrepreneur who has trained in health and social care. She's currently in the process of creating a programme designed for BAME groups. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Bianca, we'll start with you. Uh, You were one of the organisers for the Black Lives Matter protests in Cardiff. How did that come about? Um, I went to their first protest on the 31st and I just was really moved by it. I was very inspired. Um... I wanted to get up and talk on the day, um, but I suffer with a bit of uh, social anxiety, so I just thought better keep it to myself. But I spoke to the founder at the end of the event and asked her if I could get involved and get my organisation involved um, instead of just like you know doing something by myself with my own organisation. I thought we'd better to collaborate um, stronger in numbers. So we spoke and we just went from there really and I helped organise the second one and I think it was probably the biggest in Wales so far. Is that the one that was in Butte Park? Yeah. I went along to that actually. How many people were there do you think? I think roughly about 3,000 people. That's incredible isn't it? It was insane. <laughs> were, you, were you expecting that many people? No, we had a good response on the Facebook page of about a thousand people, but they always say you should expect a quarter of the amount that, you know, they say they're going to attend. So we assumed there'd be about, about 500, 600. As we were setting up, the numbers were gathering and gathering. And before we were even ready to go, there was about a thousand people there and it was just really overwhelming, but it was amazing to see. So the group of girls that you uh, you joined to help organise, who were they? How did they come together? Um, I think they were just two friends to start off with that started the movement. Um, and yeah, I think it just grew from uh, just the recognition they got from the first one. A couple of people had jumped on from then. Yeah. And what was it like to be to be part of the organising of that and, and to, to see so many people turn up? What did it feel like? It was very, very overwhelming. And, um, you know, for myself, obviously being from the black culture, it was very moving and touching. It was so great to see so many different people of different colors and races come together and stand united for something that is like, you know, many, many years, long time coming. Um, yeah, it was just very overwhelming. It was a very emotional day. And actually, um, as I mentioned, I I went along and uh, there was a bit of controversy, wasn't there? All lives matter. Yeah. What happened with that? On that day, we weren't talking about any other topic and it always seems to be that when something happens within the BAME community, that it always gets overshadowed by, oh, but this is going on in the world and what about this and what about so-and-so? It's like, can we not just have five minutes? And this is why I think for myself, 
in my own opinion, that has gone so global and so big because people have had enough and even people out of the black community have had enough and they're saying, no, enough is enough. They need to be healed now and something needs to be changed because it's just getting beyond. It's 2020 and we're still living like, you know, like we're back in the slave days and it's, 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 it needs to be addressed and it needs to be changed because, yeah, the, the future generations can't endure more of this. So unfortunately, I do see, you do see a lot of people saying all lives matter. Obviously, it's problematic, but why, why do you think it's problematic? It's just putting a shadow over the fact, over the movement. We are just trying to say that, you know, we've been oppressed for a very, very, very long time. And saying all lives matter is just basically oppressing us yet again. We just want some sort of equality. We want some sort of recognition that, you know, bad things are happening within our community. Bad things are happening within other communities. But we're just trying to address this right now. We're just trying to address our community and our problem. And, you know, and then maybe we can help, you know, the other problems and the other communities. You know, it starts from at home, I think. And, yeah, as a member of the black community for myself. I just think all lives matter is just shadowing the black lives matter movement. And it just, yeah, I just don't feel that it's a very productive thing to say. I completely agree with that term. All lives do matter. And somebody followed that the other day by saying all lives matter, we're all equal. And I was like, well, can you tell me what we're protesting for then please? Because if we were all equal, there would be, not, there would no, be no protests in the world right now. So yeah, I think it's just very, you know controversial thing to say and you have to be very careful in how you say it and yeah and how you mean it definitely and, and donna what do you think about that well i agree with the statements that um i think we're all agree that all lives are valuable and all lives matter but unfortunately um the society that we live in in the uk and probably in other countries but particularly in the usa um, they are. They definitely don't have an equal um, portion of citizenship. Um, it comes from a long history within the slave, um, the slave days. Um, my father's a U.S. citizen, so are my brothers. So I've got three African American brothers and a father who's mixed, and I've got uncles and nephews as well. So it's close to home for me. And Bianca is is an is an issue that could affect either one of them, which would ultimately affect us. Um, so it's very close to our heart. And what people fail to understand that systematically, the, the, the way the society is structured, particularly in the UK, is not structured with, it's structured against us in a sense. Um, the statues coming down, for instance, that's a huge monument and a huge movement um, in helping our psychological adjustments to fit in. The UK, uh, if I just talk about that, is structured and centered upon the British Empire and if they have a very uh, Eurocentric application to everything that goes on within the UK. It's as if white is right and the other has to prove themselves to be capable, trustworthy and eligible to be have equal citizenship. Because of the history of that, we always feel outside. Um, and, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I kind of I do sympathise with particularly white people in Britain who, who don't feel that they're racist in any way, but systematically and sub, with subconscious bias, 
the system is inclusive of them and always have been. You walk down the street and you have monuments which celebrate victory. You walk down the street and there's, um, you know, commemorative statues that remind us that we're victims in some ways. So the slavery, um, uh, the slave masters, statues coming down is just a small token. Um, you know, I believe they should be in a museum. Museum, yeah. You know, if you want to hear, you want to learn about history, you go to a museum. Museum, and that's your choice. But walking down the street and having to pass monuments to remind you of being condemned, remind you of being a slave, is not good for the psyche, the self-esteem, or even aspiration. And everything within our structure and our institutions has to begin to completely decolonize everything, our education, our social welfare system, everything has to deconstruct. Having these movements is amazing. And the support from all types of people have been absolutely overwhelming and it shows that people care. But nothing is gonna change until we unravel our UK system and bring it back and decolonize it. And that's when real action can begin particularly with our young people. So if we have black history within our curriculum and give a fair and equal balance to victor and victim, then young children coming through the, the system in the next few years will be able to have a, a better, more constructive and positive story um, and contribution to what Bane people and black people have contributed to the UK. Now, there's, there's a slight controversy in terms of black and Bane. In themselves, they're very different. You know, we, the, the way sociology clusters us all together and says BAME is for an easy, it's as if they're saying that there's white and there's brown and black. But within the BAME community themselves, there are very, very distinct differences in terms of culture and the way that we are seen in society. Afro-Caribbean boys in particular, Afro-Caribbean people, are doing worse. They're the second largest ethnic group in the UK and they seem to get it the worst. They, to me, are similar to the African-Americans in the UK. They're living the same lived experience. So I can be classed as black. When I walk into a room full of white people, I would definitely be, not be classed as white. I could go into a room full of African people and definitely not be classed as one of them either. So Bain groups in themselves are separate within themselves as well. But if we're looking at black and white, we're all one. Um, so we have to be careful how we use our language when we talk about all, you know, all lives matter. We weren't talking about all lives, we were talking about black lives. So why do you both think it's so important that these protests are going on in the UK and across the world as well? Um, I think because racism is all around, it's not just in the US. Um, I think it's more highlighted in the US, maybe because the police, police brutality is probably a lot worse because they're allowed to walk around with guns. Um, obviously, there's a, a massive percentage of um, black and the BAME community in America. So um, I think within social media as well, it gets highlighted and it gets spread across the world a little bit more and quicker than it would do if it was just on like, you know, your average news channel. You know, racism is everywhere. And I think George Floyd was just a, just, I think because it was so close to Breonna Taylor, I think people were just finally just switched and just said, we've had enough now. Enough is enough. It's mm. taking the mickey. It's not just in America. It highlights everything that goes on at home when you see big things like that going on. So I think, you know, everyone has just said enough is enough. Um, we're not taking it anymore.
Massively. I think the differences between George Floyd's death and the others pre before and possibly the others coming after him is the fact that we witnessed his life being taken before our very eyes. And none of us could deny that. Black, white, doesn't matter. We could not deny that. Other videos that we've seen, we've seen people get shot. We've seen maybe the aftermath or maybe just a clip of what may have happened. But with George, it was, you know, it was, we were in that moment with him and we could not deny what we see. My daughter, Sinead, who lives in Singapore, knows what I'm like. And she knows that, you know, these type of, um, issues really affect me and she messaged me in the morning to warn me not to watch the video and I thought I have to because I think if we don't get involved and we don't I wanted to be in that moment with him because I feel that it's a humanity crisis and if you're not if you turn a blind eye to save your own sanity then I don't think anything is going to change so I forced myself to watch it and it was really distressing obviously I think you know we're always going to have people who are against each other you know, if we all examine ourselves, we all have unconscious bias. None of us are free from that. So we can't hold our hand up and say we're not because that would be a lie, you know. But in, a, in the US, it's overt racism. And in the UK, I would say that it's more subconscious with times of overtness as well. And how do you think we can change this? I think any police officer that are doing things, you know, that is unlawful, needs to be held accountable. And I hope this... This has been the catalyst for that, that they, they will be taken seriously. Um, and I think in the UK, we need to definitely instill um, black history within our curriculum, because I think that will help, as I said, give a fair and equal balance to contribution in the UK. And then young people coming through the system will be able to make up their own minds and, you know, argue their defense with their parents. If parents are saying things that are racist, they no, mum, this great guy, he did this or she did that. You know, we talk about Florence Nightingale, Mary Seacold, well, she spent her own money and went on the front line. She had an amazing skill set in, in herbal medicine, which she learned from a young age. And with that, she packed up her bags and paid for herself to attend the front line to, uh, to help British soldiers. She doesn't get any recognition. She's not talked about in the history books, yet she sacrificed so much more. And this is, these are the stories we need to hear so that we give our young people in the UK coming through an equal understanding of our different contributions. I think having more power position, put more black bane faces, brown faces in powerful positions will also help balance our justice system, balance our politics, you know, balance our education system as well. We just need more people in powerful positions, um, but obviously they need to be qualified. And how are we going to do that without giving them an equal chance? You mentioned it earlier, Donna, that it's very personal to both of you. Um, how would you say the death of George Floyd has affected you both? Well, for myself, I didn't actually realise how much it affected me until um, after the protests, we led a march to the Senate in uh, Cardiff Bay. And we held eight minutes and 46 seconds silence for George Floyd. And during that time, um, we were all knelt down and the police were not. And during the time, um, a couple of people from the crowd started cheering for the police to kneel. And it just really wound me up. It, it wasn't, I don't ha hold no hatred towards any police other than bad police at the end of the day. You know, some of them are, ju are just doing a job. I believe they are part of a very corrupt system, but some of them are just doing a job. So we can't be, you know, 
can't be angry at every single police officer around the world. That's not going to solve anything. So I just felt the disrespect of breaking that eight minute silence to start shouting at the police was not needed. So I took the microphone and told everyone to be quiet. You know, this is supposed to be eight minutes for George Floyd and for us to, you know, um, reflect and things. And it wasn't until I came off the microphone and knelt back down that I just had a massive wave of emotion and I just burst out crying. I was like in front of a sea of like a thousand people and I just, just had this massive emotion. I was just thinking about George Floyd and his family and how they must be feeling and things. I lost my own cousin two years ago um, and it, I feel like it was a very injustice as well the way that he went so yeah I just felt very emotional and I just felt like you know it was especially the way that he went especially the fact that the whole world had seen his death especially the fact that you know his his parents couldn't really mourn alone and that's 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 a very big thing I know what it feels like to lose somebody and to mourn within a family is great because you've all got each other. But then when it goes outside of our family, it kind of can feel a bit intrusive. And then to have the whole world doing it, I'm sure they felt very comforted and, you know, very supported. But at the same time, it's very intrusive. And I just felt for him, like, massively. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, that image um, is not unlike others. I mean, obviously, we, we witnessed it from the minute to the end. You know, that kneeling for me the kneeling on the knee was just another kind of another image of lynching you know the fact that he was his, his breath was taken mm-hmm. um was the new style of lynching as far as i'm concerned um watching it it was just devastating you know and hearing other people say that oh he was a criminal he was this and he was that it doesn't matter he didn't deserve that he didn't deserve that undignified death in front of the whole world. And um, every human being, regardless of you know, who they are and what color they are, they deserve a dignified death and they deserve justice to be dealt accordingly. What would you both say to people who are criticizing people for protesting during the pandemic? Well, I would just ask them a simple question. Can you tell me a more convenient time to fight for equality? Because, yeah, I, I don't think that is right. It shouldn't, it, we shouldn't have to be doing this anyway. But I personally feel like there's a worse virus in the world at the moment than COVID-19, and that is racism. It's getting bigger. It's getting worse. Um, you know, people are dying every single day, literally down just to racism. And it's a simple fact of we're all just one race with the human race. And we all just need to get over that and just start living in unity together and in equality. There are certain groups of people who have been living in a pandemic for centuries um, and unfortunately don't seem to get our voice across. And I, I said, how ironic it is that you know, we have this virus that's kind of, it's given us time to stop and highlight a virus that's always been there. Absolutely. And I think one thing that is difficult, isn't it, that um, people like to cling on to one thing that they see, whether it's on Facebook or social media somewhere, they see a, a, a video or somebody's account of something being violent and then they sort of tar everyone with the same brush. Yeah. Obviously, at the Cardiff protest, you know, as soon as I got there, people were handing out water, people were handing out free face masks. The large majority of people were social distancing as well. I think it's important to, to note that, isn't it? 
Yeah, for myself, I think with the protest, um, there was a huge, huge, like, um, amazing feedback. The fact that it was really, really socially distant. Um, there were times where crowds did gather a little bit, but it was continuously said on the microphone, you know, keep your distance, guys, put your arms out. If you're too close to somebody that's not in your household, then, you know, you need to step back type thing. Um, yeah, as you said, we were handing out gloves, we had sanitizer, we had masks, we had water, we had everything to try and ensure that, you know, we controlled it best way as we could. Um, and then it was just down to you as an individual. There's not an amazingly good time to be protesting, but, you know, through this pandemic, we've done it best way as possible. As you mentioned earlier, Donna, uh, briefly, um, about the statues. Statues yes. of, of slave owners have been taken down in Bristol and London so far. Uh, yeah. and, and there's a petition for one to be removed in Cardiff as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's amazing. <laughs> as I said, you know, uh, to be honest with you, I didn't even know that statue existed, who he was. He was, you know, he's actually in the county hall or the city hall. So unless you're going to go there, you're not really going to know he, he's there. Um, had he been on the high street in Cardiff, the main streets, I probably would have known who he is, to be honest. Um, so I think it's amazing. I think what they did in Bristol, okay, it wasn't, you know, the way they did it may have not been or may have been the wrong way. I don't care as long as it, it got, you know, that would show people's passion. Nobody got hurt during the time. Nobody got hurt um, during the pulling it down, which was, you know, good. Um, and putting in the water was exactly where it belonged. You know, this guy Colston didn't care about putting human life into the water. So why should we care about a bit of bronze or a bit of iron? You know, as an inanimate object, this signifies um, a real bad time in our history and it deserves to be taken down. You know, we've got a big community of uh, black community in Bristol and for them to walk to work every day passing that, it's not good for your psychological um, well-being. And Bianca, what did you think about the statues? I think it was amazing. Um, I thought it was very artistic in a way. It was very emotional. It was very revolutionary. I just think it was like radical. I think it was amazing. Again, unfortunately, I've seen people saying, I understand why, why they're doing it, but at the same time, why uh, you, they have to realise this is part of history and you can't just delete, you can't rip pages out of the history book. What, what, do you think, what do you think when people say that? Um, me and my mum had a little bit of a debate about this the other day and she said that she thinks that they'd be okay in a museum, um, which right. I understand to a certain degree. But for myself, I just think that having a statue of them in any way, shape or form is kind of like celebrating them or worshipping them. And I just think it needs to be destroyed. Stick them in the history books next to Hitler, that I said. So, you know, I don't, I don't think they deserve a statue. Maybe melt them down and make a statue of Malcolm X, make a statue of somebody that actually made a good impact in history. Well, unfortunately for myself, for my family and thousands of others, we can't get away from the fact that slavery happened because my father's father's parents were actually slave on a plantation in South Carolina. Their um, family name is Randolph. And when I did some research, I, I had a different name when I was younger and I changed it when I found out who my real dad was. And I chose to be called Ali, which is my grandmother's name. 
um, who, well, her father was from Bangladesh and she was from Cardiff. And I didn't choose to take my father's name Randolph because it's a slave name. Um, as many thousands of African-Americans and, and people in Britain, actually, they had to take the slave owner's name. And I didn't want any, I didn't want to tie myself to that. Um, the slave master apparently went with my great grandmother and had my grandfather. Um, and it wasn't in a, I don't think, in a consented union. So for me, taking his name would just, I don't need, I don't need to be reminded of that, even though I am proud of my grandfather's parents enduring everything they possibly would have endured on a slave on plantation and me and my offspring Bianca and my other daughter being here today to be able to be a recognition for their their courage and you know their resilience to get through it because we wouldn't be here so a statue yes it's it's not a nice memory to have but I think we need it's important that it's there because it teaches not to do it again if you choose to go into a museum you do but being, you know, being on the high streets where it's a public place, I think that's a big difference. I don't know if you saw the uh, Little Britain and Bo Selector and a couple of other um, sort of old fashioned films have been removed from Netflix, Britbox, iPlayer, which no. I mean, looks like a step in the right direction. Is it a step in the right direction? Is it enough? It depends if you feel offended by them. Um, I personally don't. I don't remember the ins and out of them, but I don't remember them causing me any offence. Any offence. Um, but I think we're brushing over the deeper issues, taking them off our media and off our high streets. Yes, that's great. We need to get to the core, and that's the structures and institutions. And we, and it's almost as if let's do everything but that, and therefore we'll just pretend we've done, or we'll act as if we've done what they've asked. But until the structures and institution change, we're always going to have subconscious bias and we're always going to have discrimination. And on the subject of education, Bianca, what, what did you learn in history? Did you learn any, uh, anything to do with black history? I think the main thing that I can remember um, in history in school was Henry VIII and how many wives he had, why they died, what their names were, um, the Tudors. But it's crazy because I've got four younger sisters on my dad's side now. And a couple of years ago, I think about two, three years ago, the eldest one, she was in year six and she came out of school and she was like, oh, I've got loads of homework. I've got to do about Henry VIII. And I just looked at her and I was like, what? You're doing Henry VIII? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, but I did Henry VIII and I was in school 20 years ago. How does this make any sense? Why are you, has there not been history in them 20 years? What is there not more relevant things they could be teaching you? No disrespect to Henry VIII at all, but I haven't used any of his information since I've left school. <laughs> so I don't understand why, you know, unless you want to be a history teacher, I don't understand why we're still teaching about Henry VIII and the Tudors. I understand, you know, there is history to it as, as you know, as to where Britain British came Empire. Yeah, I understand that, the, the, the links there. But I just think we need to just maybe touch on the subjects instead of being so in-depth with the subjects. We don't need to know every name of every single wife that he had and every child that he bore and every reason that the wife died. We don't need to know, you know, the ins and outs. There's more relevant things that we need to be teaching. They, my little sisters, I asked them then, okay, well, do you know about 9-11? Do you know what happened with this? Do you know what happened with that? More relevant things that have happened in the last 20 years. And they couldn't tell me any answers other than what they know through hearsay within the family and overhearing adult conversations. So yeah, I think it's I think 
is crazy within the education system that they don't teach more even yeah black history is amazingly important for even just more relevant history there's no relevant history I, I i had the same experience as well honestly i mean it's only looking back at it now where you know i'm, I'm reading books and trying to educate myself a bit better and realizing how little i know is, is really shocking it is yeah. um yeah. And Donna, you touched on it. I think that the kind of the only way to change is, is education, isn't it? Or the best way is to get it, you know, start with education from a young age. So at least then people are growing up with the knowledge to be able to understand how our, our yeah. communities and, and how our country works. Yeah. So we'll start with you, Bianca. Tell me what you do. Um, I run an organisation called The Take Back. Um, so we support local charities um, by hosting music events with local music artists and musicians in Cardiff. Um, the first event that we did was for um, Women's Aid, which is, um, I'm aware, a more of a bigger charity than a local charity. Um, but at the time they were having their funding cut and also it was a charity that was very close to my heart at the, at the time of starting the take back. So yeah, we did an event in November for them, raised quite a significant amount of money, which I know helped quite a lot because it was um, near Christmas time. So there was a lot of family parcels that went out. There was a lot of gifts bought for children that wouldn't necessarily have had things. Gifts bought for mums, which literally wouldn't have had anything. So I know it made like a massive impact. So yeah, the take back is just basically all about raising funds as much as possible for local charities um there's a local charity called um moving mountains mental health which we were looking to support this summer we were going to have a two-day festival um raising funds for them um but unfortunately obviously with the lockdown thing we can't we haven't been able to do any events, unfortunately. We had six lined up for this year. So they're all put on the back burner at the moment. That sounds great. <laughs> and how did you get into that? Are you a musician yourself? Um, no, when I was really young, I used to sing. I was a part of a girl group and we toured around Wales doing our bit. And we were on S4C, did quite a oh, bit. Wow. It was amazing. And then I stopped singing. Um, just, yeah, started becoming just a typical teenager, really. And then as I got older, um, I started writing poems and stories and different things like that. You mentioned you had social anxiety. How, how did you overcome that? You said you spoke at the protest. There's about three or four thousand people there. How did you manage that? I think starting the take back in last um, August gave me the confidence I needed to start engaging with new people again and putting myself in awkward positions. But then with the lockdown happening, um, it was at the first protest that I realised that, oh, crap, my social anxiety has come back. I was sat there next to my mum. She went up and spoke and I really felt this urge to speak. But I was just like, I can't. Oh, my God, there's too many people. I was just like glued to my mum's side because it was just awkward for me to be around that many people again. It was just really overwhelming feeling. But then, yeah, when I um, became a part of it and I was, you know, a part of the group chat leading up to the second protest, it just gave me a little bit more of a confidence boost speaking to the girls that were, you know, the other organisers. And then on the day, I felt like they had a lot more um, knowledge and I was a lot more hands-on. So I felt like I had to overtake a little bit just to help out a little bit more. And yeah, I feel like a lot of them were a little bit nervous to go up and speak. and 
certain things were being said and certain people were like going over their time to talk and stuff. So somebody just had to take over and I don't know where it came from, but it just, <laughs> just came out of nowhere and I was like, okay. I'm just going to ask you, Donna, about Level Up. Can you tell me what that is? Okay, so um, during my uh, time at university, obviously I study a lot about inequality, social mobility, etc. And I just found that um, I, I, was always, I was never able to articulate my position as a citizen. I went from being a young, young mum, mixed race. Um, I worked for an organisation back then called ACT Training Company. I was 21 and the owner was really inspired by me and said that I'd be a good advocate to work for young, with young people. So he created a job for me. Um, that back then it was South Glamorgan Tech. And so they funded a three year post and I was like a school boardie for young people on youth training who would have fallen behind basically. So on the back of that experience and that passion, I loved that job um, and my partner being a teacher and his experiences as a black teacher in Cardiff, um, I kind of came up with thinking I really need to put something together that addresses the inequalities. So Level Up is a program that um, will run alongside an existing co uh, college qualification. It's going to run on a two hour week basis for 12 weeks. And within that, we're breaking up to four sections. So it's going to address social capital, social mobility. And basically, I'm going to give the young Bain people the tools that they need to be able to navigate their way through. It's kind of trying to create an equal level, an equal playing field. That's never really going to happen because of the color of their skin. But and also economic factors if they come from dis, you know disadvantaged backgrounds. But it will give them tools to be able to know how to play it within the system. So um, Level Up is going to give them a certification of attendance. It's a life skill. And then they're going to be able to use their existing, their qualification they're working towards um, to the fullest potential, I hope. Basically, I my previous life was business. Um, I had my both daughters really young. And but I've always had a very business entrepreneurial mind from the age of 12. I've made money from doing various things. Um, and my girls grew up and went off and did their own things. And I thought, you know, I, I want to learn. I, I didn't really learn much at school. I came away with a baby rather than qualifications. Um, but they'd grown up and done their own things. So I thought it's my time. Um, I was working with homeless people cutting their hair. And um, every with every person that I would cut, I would say, you know, why are you in your position? And a lot of them, it was always talked of a fam family breakdown, whether it was a divorce or coming through the care system. And it just, it, oh, I was just, something sparked in me to, to ask what is going on in society? Health and social care was the, the best option. That sounds brilliant. Really, yeah. really good. And I, but I know, uh, I, I've seen a little something about you that uh, that's not, you didn't start with uh, something like that. You started, you've run a business for 20 years now. Um, and your first mis business was yeah. Little Miss Makeover. My first official business was Little Miss Makeover. <laughs> yeah. Now I have to tell you, um, producer Kira <laughs> was very excited when she realised this. She didn't realise that you'd done this. And she said, oh my God, we used to do this when we were younger. We'd go and we'd have the books of the hair and stuff. Yeah. And she was very excited. Oh. Um, so I probably painted your nails. <laughs> yes, she probably did. She probably did. <laughs> oh, she will love that. Um, yeah. So, so you've run a business for 20 years. What would you say is the secret to being a successful entrepreneur? I think, first of all, success is 
very personal. So some people can say the success is about being rich. Um, for me, success was, I feel as if I've, I've not worked a day in my life in terms of the things that I've wanted to do. It's not work. I'm, I'm very creative and very organized like Bianca and I just love doing whatever's in my head. If something's in my head, I can actually visualize it actually happening. And it's not until I do it and it's, you know, actually in progress, um, do I feel that's success for me. That's, that's what I would monitor my success. I, I'm the type of person, I could never run the same business forever. I'm just in and out of everything. I just want to set things up, pass them on, set something up. I can just, I'm good at establishing gaps in the market for different things. And once I establish that, I want to set it up, use my creative ability and my, my drive, because it really takes a lot of drive to get something completely from your brain to a finished product. Um, and then I want to pass it on for someone else to do because my brain is so busy, I need to do something else. <laughs> so you're an ideas lady you're yeah, full of ideas brilliant definitely, well that's something special not everyone's got that <laughs> no. so what would you what advice would you give to people who might be looking to start a business um i would definitely say that um yeah you need to have a creative ability because you could have one idea but you need to be able to address any you know any barriers or obstacles that can come your way so I would just say, just be creative and don't ha and just be visionary and don't be afraid to visualize what you want to happen. Put it down on a board, see it in motion until you can actually feel it and touch it, until it's tangible. Donna, we've asked you for your advice. Bianca, it's your turn. What advice would you give to people who might want to get involved with activism? I would advise that they look for the biggest um, movement going and ask them to join their organization. Um, it's all well and good, you know, doing something by yourself. But I think, as I said earlier, we're stronger in numbers. Um, for myself, like I said, I've got the take back and I could have went down the route of doing something Black Lives Matter movement within the take back. But I just thought it'd be better to join forces and yeah, work together. So I think for anybody that is, looking to start i think yeah look for the biggest and the best and go from there what would you say is the worst thing about being a woman i would say not being heard yeah and not kind of being taken seriously and if you are kind of assertive in your opinions you get taken as being a bit of a bitch i would personally say i absolutely love being a woman and i yeah. don't see there's any worst parts of being a woman okay except one periods <laughs> that's probably the worst part period pains i love being a woman and i embrace every single thing that that means period pains are definitely up there yeah. <laughs> so you're gonna like this one then what is the best thing about being a woman being a woman <laughs> literally um yeah i think it doesn't matter um who's in charge I think a woman is always in charge. They say like, you know, behind every strong man is a woman at home that's like, you know, telling him to do this, 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 this. And yeah. I strongly believe that, you know, I bet Trump goes home and listens to his wife and, you know, Obama goes home and listens to Michelle. Yes, no, Michelle, where Michelle, when Michelle. Yeah, I agree you with you. <laughs> I, I personally believe that we literally run the world. So yeah, I just love yeah. everything about being a woman. We're amazing. I have to say I'm extremely proud of Bianca. She's been through a lot and she's come out the other side and not only just for herself, but 
you know her pain has been a purpose for other people and i'm extremely proud of her she's amazing thank you mama thanks so much to our guests donna and bianca ali Kiriko and Ennis produced this episode and our music is by Easy Peel. If you want to listen to more Lady Pod, catch up with Series 2, Episode 1 with Minna Cliff, who talks about the ups and downs of working in a care home during a pandemic. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.